This is a podcast from the children's radio station Fun Kids. Listen on DAB Digital Radio across the UK or online at funkidslive.com. City of London Walks, City Gardens. Hello and welcome to this City of London Walk. Walking's a great way to get out and stay healthy and to find out more about this exciting part of London. The City of London, or the Square Mile, is packed full of history and interesting things to see and do. And this walk starts here, at the Guildhall, the home of the City of London Corporation and the centre of city government since the Middle Ages. Some of the roads in the City of London can be very busy, so please take care on the walk when it's time to cross a road. And remember, you can pause wherever you want if you'd like to look for a bit longer. Then, just restart the walk again when you're ready. You'll hear an audio clue... Pause audio. ...when to do so. Welcome to Guildhall, the centre of the City of London. This walk is all about the City of London's green and open spaces. You might think of London as being about as far from the countryside as it's possible to get. But there's loads of green space across the capital. And over 20 parks here in the City of London. The city's a brilliant showcase for how a really diverse range of trees can grow in an urban environment, which can be challenging for wildlife. In fact, there are nearly 2,500 individual trees in the city, made up from around 70 different species. You want to know about trees? Let me be of assistance. My name's Eric. I've been a gardener around here for, well, nearly 30 years now. Hey, Eric. We'd love to have your help to explore some of the city's green spaces. Happy to help. Now, remember, trees and parks aren't just important as places to get close to nature and give children space to play. They're a vital part of the city for a whole host of reasons. They absorb pollution and carbon dioxide. They attract lots of different types of wildlife. Their roots absorb water, their branches provide shade, and trees are so clever, they can even reduce the air temperature in hot summers. Phew! I never knew plants were so busy. We better set off on our walk. First destination, St Mary Oldmanbury Garden, which is just around the corner. Let's go! We're going to walk west past St Lawrence Jury Church, which is on the south side of Guildhall Yard, and turn north into Aldermanbury. The gardens are right ahead of you. It's a three-minute walk. Pause the audio, walk until you get to St Mary Aldenbury Garden, and then restart the audio again when you're ready. Welcome to St Mary Aldenbury Garden. This garden has been a part of the city since the Middle Ages. As you can see, it's a spacious rectangular site with some very interesting shrub and herbaceous planting. The garden sits on the site where a church used to be. It's been separated into two parts. The bit that's surrounded by box hedging and has lots of interesting planting, that used to be the graveyard. Whilst the bits with lawn and benches, that's where the church building used to be. We know there's been a church here as far back as 1181. That's when it was first mentioned in records. The remains of the church that you can see today date from 1437. But what happened to the church? In 1666, a terrible event occurred. Vast swathes of the city were destroyed when a fire broke out in Pudding Lane. Thousands of buildings, homes, churches and civil buildings were burnt to the ground, including the church of St Mary Aldermanbury. The church was rebuilt by the famous architect Sir Christopher Wren, but sadly it was again destroyed during the Second World War, leaving only the walls standing. But the history of the church doesn't end there. 
During the 1960s, remains of the church were shipped all the way to Fulton, Missouri in America, where a restored church stands as a memorial to Winston Churchill's Iron Curtain speech. Not every church gets to travel that far. The garden contains a monument to Henry Condell and John Hemmings, which is topped by a bust of William Shakespeare. You might not know their names, but they were associates of Shakespeare. They produced some of the first folio of his plays, and worked with him to stage his plays at the famous Globe Theatre. Another interesting person from history here in the park is George Jeffries. He was known as the Hanging Judge. He earned a dark reputation for the stern enforcement of the law. Eric here. Now, I know a thing or two about trees, and there's a great example of a rather unusual one in this garden. It's a Judas tree. During spring and summer, it has beautiful pink flowers, and its leaves are heart-shaped. You'll find quite a few of these trees in the city, and they're great for sheltering when it's raining. I hope you're staying dry today. If not, look for a Judas tree. Thanks, Eric. If you want to have a look around before we move on, pause the audio walk, then restart so I can guide you to our next location. Pause audio. Our next destination is, in a way, two gardens in one. St Alphage and Salter's Gardens. We're going to leave the gardens and walk west along Love Lane. At the junction with Wood Street, turn right. Cross the busy road using the raised pedestrian footpath and continue to head north along Wood Lane. After 100 metres, turn right into St Alphage Gardens. It's about a five minute walk. Pause the audio, walk until you get to St Alphage Gardens, and then restart the audio again when you're ready. Welcome to St Alphage Garden. A garden with a history that goes back as far as Roman times. The garden sits on the central street that ran through a Roman fort that existed here 1800 years ago. Roman history is all around. You can see remains of the northern wall of the fort, which became part of a wall around the whole city. And the history doesn't end there. As well as Roman remains, you can also see the work of medieval builders who made changes to the wall, many centuries after the Romans had left Britain. One of the Lord Mayors of London, Ralph Jocelyn, ordered the wall to be repaired between Aldgate and Aldersgate, and the top of the wall was rebuilt in brick. Can you see where the medieval bricks would have started? The gardens are named after the St Alphage Church that once stood here, built into the wall. The first church to be built here was in the 12th century, and the last was demolished by the Orders of Parliament at the end of the 16th century. All that remains is a ruined 14th century tower. If you want to have a look around, pause the audio walk. Then take the gate into Salter's Garden and restart the audio. Pause audio. Welcome to Salter's Garden. There's lots to see here. Lawns and hedges, pergolas and fountains. In summer, you might be able to see the many roses which are planted here. This garden was opened in 1981 to commemorate the 600th anniversary of the Worshipful Company of Salters. So, what's a Salter? And why do they need a Worshipful Company? And what is a Worshipful Company anyway? Well, the garden might be quite modern, but the Salters Company can trace its history all the way back to the 14th century. And it's all to do with something you might use every day. Perhaps you use it on your chips. Salt! 
Many centuries ago, the Anglo-Saxons developed methods of extracting salt, something that wasn't just used to season food, it was vital to preserve meats and fish to stop it going off. After all, they didn't have tin cans or refrigerators. Salt was so valuable that Roman soldiers were often given salt rations, and this sal is the origin of the word salary. A soldier failing in battle or falling asleep at his post was said to be not worth his salt. Salt would be important in the centuries that followed, for preserving but also cleaning, dyeing fabric, bleaching, degreasing, dehairing and softening leather, as well as being an ingredient in medicines and ointments. And a worshipful company? They date back to the Middle Ages. They were created to protect the men and women who worked in every trade in the city. They were masters of their craft. They chose apprentices, decided how much everyone should be paid, set the prices goods were sold at at market, and set high standards of workmanship. They were very powerful. It was not possible to work unless you belonged to the right one. If you want to have a look around, pause the audio walk, but restart so I can guide you to our next location. Pause audio. Our next destination is in the Barbican Centre. We're going to cross back into St Alfred's Garden and head back to Wood Street. Turn right and at the end of the road enter St Giles Terrace which is the pedestrian area. Turn right onto the Barbican High Walk and walk into the centre of the Barbican. It's about a six minute walk. Pause the audio, walk until you get to the Barbican High Walk and then restart the audio again when you're ready. Welcome to the Barbican, and more specifically, the lakeside gardens and terrace. Like the gardens we've already visited, it's steeped in history. So, let's find out more. 80 years ago, this area of London, like many others, was laid to waste by bombing during the Second World War. The buildings and houses that were here before were gone forever, and plans were drawn up for something new. And that was to be the Barbican development we see here today. It was built between 1960 and 1973 and houses more than 4,000 people in 21 separate blocks. You might wonder why they chose that as a name. Well, the word Barbican means an outer fortification or defence to a city or castle, especially a double tower erected over a gate or bridge. As we found out, the City of London was home to a Roman fort, and the remains of a Roman turret are in one of the car parks, although you can't see them. Eric the Gardener here. I have to say, the lakeside gardens and terrace are particularly impressive places with their waterside setting and city views. They're a smashing place to spend time in the spring and summer, perhaps after visiting the Barbican Centre, which is a wonderful venue for performances of music and theatre. And this garden is home to London's second biggest conservatory, after Kew Gardens. Did you know it houses more than 2,000 species of tropical plants and trees, as well as exotic fish? So the Thames isn't the only place in the city where you'll find fish. Thanks, Eric! If you want to have a little look around, pause the audio walk, but restart so I can guide you to our next location. Pause audio. Next on our walk is Barber Surgeon's Hall Gardens. We're going to retrace our steps along the Barbican High Walk and back to Wood Street. Opposite St Alfred's Garden, turn right into Monkwell Square. Walk around the square, turning left in front of the Barber Surgeon's Hall. The garden is on the right after the hall. 
It's about a four-minute walk. Pause the audio, walk until you get to Barber Surgeon's Hall Gardens, and then restart the audio again when you're ready. Welcome to Barber Surgeon's Hall Gardens. And another worshipful company. We know from records that there's been a garden here since at least 1555. Again, it's a rather strange-sounding name for a garden, and you might be wondering what a barber surgeon actually is. In the Middle Ages, monks traditionally cared for the sick and injured in their monasteries, but the Pope forbade them from performing surgical procedures. Now they might not have been able to, but they came up with a clever plan. Monks had a distinctive haircut, and so as you can imagine, they used barbers quite a lot. And barbers had blades. Pretty handy if you're going to perform surgery. So the monks taught the barbers what they knew, and the barbers began to carry out a range of surgical procedures. From lancing boils to amputating limbs and extracting teeth, it was a practice that continued right up to the 19th century. And that's why barbershops often have a red and white pole. Red for blood, and white for bones. Not sure I fancy taking my chances with a barber surgeon. The interesting thing about the plants you'll find here is that they're largely chosen to give a view of how plants have been used over the centuries for medicine. It's all influenced by a herbalist called John Gerard, who was master of the surgeon's company in 1607. The gardens today contain around 45 different species of herb plants, which are grown to treat wounds, bruises, and burns. Now, I'm always on the lookout for an interesting tree, and there's a cracking one here. The foxglove tree is distinctive because of its large, heart-shaped leaves, which can grow to be 60 centimetres in diameter. Its beautiful flower spikes look like the foxglove plant and bear small, egg-shaped fruits. Why don't you explore the garden and see if you can spot the foxglove tree and see what medicinal plants you can find? Pause the audio walk while you look and restart so I can guide you to our next location. Pause audio. How did you get on? From barbers and surgeons to postmen. And our next garden, Postman's Park. We're going to leave the garden and head south to the busy road, which is London Wall. Turn right and walk alongside the road, heading towards the rotunda by the Museum of London. At the rotunda, take the second exit south onto Aldersgate Street. Once you have passed St. Waltoff's Without Aldersgate Church, on your right, you will see the entrance to the park. It's about a six-minute walk. Pause the audio, walk until you get to Postman's Park, and then restart the audio again when you're ready. Welcome to Postman's Park, one of the largest gardens in the City of London. It's been here since 1880, and is the combination of three old churchyards. St Botolph Aldersgate, Christchurch Greyfriars, and St Leonard. So... What's all that got to do with postmen? Well, it's pretty simple. The garden got its name because there was a post office nearby, and the workers liked to come here to relax. But there's more to the garden than post. In fact, one of the highlights is the memorial shelter, created by the artist G. F. Watts in 1899. This amazing shelter displays glazed plaques commemorating the heroic deeds of ordinary men, women and children who lost their lives saving others. There are 54 plaques in all, the most recent being in honour of Lee Pitt, a man who jumped into a canal in 2007 to save a drowning child. He sadly died, but the child survived. 
there are still 66 empty spaces. I wonder who might be commemorated in the years to come. If you look around, there's even more to see. There's a goldfish pond and a fountain, as well as flower beds and a fine collection of tree ferns and other exotic species. Sorry to interrupt, but just need to point out that there's another city tree to look out for in the park. It's a handkerchief tree and can be found against the long wall opposite the memorial tiles. This species of tree is very rare in the city. It's particularly stunning in late May when covered in white bracts that resemble handkerchiefs, from which the tree gets its name. And it looks amazing. Did you notice that the road on the right is called Little Britain? It's mentioned in Charles Dickens' novel Great Expectations as the location of Jagger's office. The street was famous for booksellers in the mid-16th century and then goldsmiths and clothing shops in the centuries that followed. If you want to have a look around, pause the audio walk, but restart so I can guide you to our next location. Pause audio. Our next garden is the Rose Garden of Christchurch Greyfriars Church. We're going to leave Postman's Park on the opposite side that you came in from. This road is called King Edward Street. Turn left and Christchurch Greyfriars Church is 200 metres on the right. It's about a two-minute walk. Pause the audio, walk until you get to Christchurch Greyfriars Church and then restart the audio again when you're ready. Welcome to Christchurch Greyfriars Church. As we found out, many gardens are on the site of old churches and this garden is similar. In the Middle Ages, this was the site of a Franciscan monastery and today's garden is on the site of the Franciscan Church of Greyfriars. In 1429, there was also a library here, built by a certain Richard Whittington. That name might ring a bell. Dick Whittington, Lord Mayor of London. Like other gardens we visited, the church which once stood here was destroyed by the Great Fire. It was rebuilt by Sir Christopher Wren, but the body of the church was gutted by fire in 1940, and only the West Tower now stands. In 2011, the garden had a major overhaul. The soil was improved and more modern planting was installed to increase biodiversity. What you can see around you is heavily planted herbaceous borders with a variety of modern repeat-flowering shrub roses and climbers. If you're visiting when flowers are in bloom, you'll see the garden has a colour scheme of mainly blue, purple and white, with shots of deep crimson, silver and lime to bring it all to life, all contained within low, clipped box hedging. And very nice it is too. And don't forget to check out the wooden towers which you can see within the planting. They replicate the original church arches and house a variety of little bird boxes to encourage the bird population. If you want to have a look around, pause the audio walk, but restart so I can guide you to our next location. Pause audio. Our next stop is St Paul's Cathedral. We're going to walk south on King Edward Street towards Newgate Street. Continue on to Cheapside and then turn slight right onto New Change. The cathedral is on your right and there's a gate into the gardens. It's about a four minute walk. Pause the audio, walk until you get to St Paul's Cathedral and then restart the audio again when you're ready. Welcome to St Paul's Cathedral and the Churchyard Garden. You might think the cathedral you can see has been here forever but it's actually the fifth place of worship on this site. 
The first building was erected in the year 604 by St Ethelbert, King of Kent, the first Christian king in England. A Roman temple to Diana once stood here, and there's evidence of Roman burials. Today's cathedral was designed by, yep, you guessed it, Sir Christopher Wren, after the old cathedral was destroyed in the Great Fire. The garden was laid out in 1879 by Edward Milner, and there's lots to see. Winding footpaths, fountains, sculptures, mature trees and shrubs, as well as a lovely rose garden. And look out for the churchyard railings. They were made in 1714, and they're an important early example of cast iron work. Hello again. There's another city tree in the gardens that's worth looking out for. On the south side of St Paul's, you'll find the largest sweet gum tree in the city. It's roughly 25 metres high. Sweet gum leaves turn beautiful, vibrant red and yellow colours in the autumn, creating a firework effect. Look closely and you'll see the tree has scaly, alligator-skin-textured bark. If you want to have a look around, pause the audio walk. When you're ready to move on, our next garden is Festival Garden, and it's through the gate to the south of this garden. How easy is that? Restart the audio when you're there and ready. Pause audio. Welcome to Festival Gardens. This is a much more modern garden than many we've visited. It was created in 1951 by Sir Albert Richardson on a site once occupied by buildings destroyed in the Second World War. It's quite a formal-looking garden with its sunken lawn and wall fountain. As you can see, the lawn is surrounded by a raised paved terrace with stone parapets and seating, planting in tubs, and lots of trees including a pleached lime hedge and a fine catalpa. In 2012, the year of the London Olympics, the gardens were extended to the west into the area formerly used for coach parking. The new garden represented an enormous increase in accessible green space, with some 3,000 herbaceous plants, 184 metres of clipped box hedging, flowering street trees and multi-stemmed garden trees. Before you go, there's some more city trees to see in this garden. It's the impressive hedge that surrounds Festival Garden. They're pleached lime trees. The wood of lime was used by Grinling Gibbons, the Dutch sculptor, in construction of the cathedral's choir stalls. Why not head inside and have a look? And that's the end of this walk, a dip into some of the city's green and open space. There are other great gardens and squares to explore in the city, including Finsbury Circus Garden, which is both the largest open space in the city and also what remains of Moor Fields, London's first public park dating from 1607. It's also home to a fine Japanese pagoda tree, the only one in the city. And as well as gardens within the city itself, the City of London Corporation also looks after large parks around London, from Burnham Beaches to the west of London to Epping Forest to the east. So wherever you are in London, why not go and explore? Thanks for joining me, and hopefully I'll see you again soon. City of London Walks, produced by Inspiring Audio with support from the City of London Corporation. For more information on what to see and do in the city, visit the City Information Centre by St Paul's or www.visitthecity.co.uk. So that was a podcast from the children's radio station Fun Kids. Listen on DAB Digital Radio across the UK or online at funkidslive.com. I'm James Stewart and in Saving Planet Earth, I'm going to be joined by some of the world's top scientists to introduce you to some of the weird and wonderful ideas being trialled to try and save our planet. 
led, of course, by your questions. Hi, James. I know that climate change is affecting our oceans. Is there anything that's being done to look after it? And one of the solutions involves dolphin poo. <laughs> this is Saving Planet Earth. Available wherever you get your podcasts.